This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am Tyler Metcalf, joined as always by Tyler Rucker. Rucker, how's it going? I'm doing good, Metcalf. I'm pretty pumped about this one. We we got a, we got a fun episode ahead of us and a very special guest that uh, you know doesn't need an introduction, but I feel like we're going to give him one anyways because he deserves it. He he absolutely does, and I'm incredibly excited to welcome on this week's guest. Uh, he's someone who I've been a huge fan of and consumer of his work for a very long time. He is the founder of NBA Draft Junkies, a host of the Lockdown NBA Draft podcast, and the well-deserved inheritor of the NBA Big Board newsletter and podcast. He is the one and only Raphael Barlow. Raphael, how's it going? It's going good. All of that makes me sound important. So. <laughs> <laughs> you are important to us. Come on, Absolutely. man. Like, it just, I mean, for you. yeah, just, you know, by it being me, it just... You know, it it sounds good. Like I used to always, you know, hear when people were doing like they get introduced and they're just kind of like, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? Wow, that, that's you. And I just kind of had that moment where, you know, the inheritor sounds really important. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're, you're important to the draft grind, man. We've, we've all been following your work forever. And it, it's it was awesome to get that news. So congrats to you. I mean, I know you I know that's in good hands now moving forward. Thank you, man. Like I, I knew about it a few weeks ago, and uh, I don't think I've had time to process it. And so last week, Chad was in Israel. So he's operating on a different time zone. And I'm usually in Europe, but I'm here in the States right now. And I wake up in the morning and I, I get a text that says, I'm going to announce my retirement today. So I get up, like literally get out the bed and I run to my computer to like... Um, you know, because actually he wanted me to write a, a letter just kind of introducing myself to the people that, that weren't familiar with me. So I get up and I go to my computer and I'm trying to type the letter and then bam, he fires the tweet off. <laughs> so I'm like, oh man. I mean, it's still like, I'm still half sleep. And ever since then, like I haven't, I've kind of had a little bit of time to process it, but right. I, I had no idea that he was going to announce it on Saturday morning. I literally yeah. had no idea. So when he sent the tweet or when he sent me the text, it might have been like six o'clock in the morning. And uh, and I, I didn't see it until I woke up. And yeah, my life kind of changed a little <laughs> bit since Saturday. I think I gained like 500 new followers and and now it's pressure, man. It's it's pressure. Chad is such a, a legend. He opened the doors for me and, and, and for you. And and so, um, you know, there are people that are used to his work. And now, you know, it's kind of up to me to succeed him and, and, you know, the path that he's laid out. I mean, I'm up for the challenge, but 
at the end of the day, it's still a little a little bit of pressure. But I mean, there's there's much harder ways to make a living than watching basketball. So. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so that's that's kind of like my my take on it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Thankful for being on the show. I've been joking for a while. Like this no ceilings army that you guys have put together. It's kind of crazy, man. Like. I mean, you guys really got an army going on. I, I compared you guys to Walmart. I don't know if you heard it on uh, on Stevens' podcast, like how Walmart just they came in town and they took over and they they, they made it, uh, you know, just kind of dominated that that space. And I feel like that's what you guys are doing. So, congrats to what you guys have going on and no ceilings. Well, I, mean, I I guess we're just trying to keep up with you and and match match your guys's work because it, it's taken what ten of us to to match your guys's output um so appreciate it. that's, that's too kind you guys are pumping out content six days a week now right you're trying yeah. to i mean you know I, I feel like i've heard you say it before you know like iron sharpens iron but i, I it's like all friendly i, I think yeah. we've been watching your work you do unbelievable stuff and kind of motivates all of us to keep pushing forward and it's like man like you know, I feel like the one time I relax and all of a sudden it's like Raphael just posted something. I'm like, damn, all right, got to oh. get back into it. Like, so, yeah. you know, the same way you're, <laughs> in great, same you're way. in great hands, you know, moving forward. I think you're going to do an outstanding job. But, yeah, we were pumped to, to get you on this episode. Thanks, man. Anytime, anytime. I'm, uh, you know, I have to remind people like I'm still the same person. Like people are like texting me like, oh, man, I appreciate, you know, you came on my podcast two years ago, or I thank you for having me on as a guest. And it means a lot. I'm like, look, I'm the same person. My number is still the same. Like Biggie said, same number, same hood. It's all good. <laughs> and so anytime you guys want me on, man, just, just let me know. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll come on. I appreciate that. And so you're, you're someone whose content, um, when I was first kind of really getting into the draft world, um, your, your breakdown videos were some of the biggest ones on YouTube that I came across and they've mm-hmm. been consuming for a long time. So before we dive into just kind of our reactions and impressions from the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, I kind of wanted to get your perspective on how you approach scouting the tournament and what you go into, what you weigh, if anything, and just how, how you kind of view these prospects um, it, specifically in the tournament compared to the regular season? I mean, one thing I, I'll say is that I I am human. And so last impressions do mean something. Now, it's, it doesn't like outweigh what 30 plus games of work has done. But I mean, it's I think it's just natural to go on your, your last impression. But I also feel like there is a bias to it. So let's say like you really like a prospect and he has an awful game, then you're like, it was just an awful game. But if there's a prospect that you are iffy on and he has an awful game, it's natural to be like, see, I, I, I knew it. Yeah. This is what I've been saying. So, um, but yeah, I mean, when I look at the tournament, I, I do like to see who steps up in the tournament. I do like to see a certain level of assertiveness or, or you know, being aggressive. Same thing with the conference tournament. I like seeing how guys play under pressure I like seeing how guys play against really good competition, um, but I don't let it outweigh, you know, the 30 something games. Maybe a little bit. It feels like a, a guy in a smaller college and then he played like a, a really good team and then he may have struggled. I'm not one of these guys that felt like, like, for example, I think the best example that I can think of is last year with Drew Timmy. 
He had the game against Baylor. I don't think he played a bad game, but everyone is like, see, once he goes against athletes, he's no good. He struggles. But I'm like, dude, just played Evan Mobley like a week ago and he did fine. So um, my approach to scouting the tournament is is the same, but I, I do look to see like who shies away. If you're like a guard, if you're not wanting the ball in the clutch, or if you're looking to make big plays, um, you know, like a Kennedy Chandler, for example, even though they lost, I loved how he competed mm-hmm. that that particular game against Michigan. And uh, I think Michigan plays like a NBA style defense in a sense. And I thought that, you know, he he shined in that. So I will say that that game against Michigan has probably pushed Kennedy Chandler up a couple spots on my on my next board. Um, but I've been high on Chandler all year. So, again, maybe it's the. The, the bias of when you like somebody and they play well, you're like, see, I, I knew it. And if they don't, then you may feel a little bit different. For sure. And if, if mo- most recent impressions tend to weigh heavily, the impression that Paulo is leaving after these first two rounds has been pretty extraordinary. Um, so mm-hmm. Rucker and I have talked about Paulo a bunch this season and We've been hesitant. We've been we've had really mixed feelings all throughout the season, but I believe he is number one for you, and yes. you are all in. So, I, let's just start big picture with Paolo. What 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 do you like about him? Well, coming into the season, I had him as my number two. I had Chet ahead of him, and then um, you know he he dominated that that early season matchup. But one of the things that I liked about Paolo that I don't think he's fully been able to showcase is his passing and his playmaking. He showed some flashes in the Michigan State game. I think he had four assists, but I know of two. Like one of them kills dropped a pass at the rim. And then I think there was one where Mark Williams dropped. So he could have easily had six assists. I think there was a game against Syracuse where he like lit their zone up for like nine assists. And I think that in the NBA, if you're going to be a primary scorer, then I think you have to be a good playmaker. I don't know too many guys and maybe you can say Tatum who has improved but I don't know too many guys in the NBA that are like really good scorers that don't pass the ball very well especially in today's NBA and so I think of you know like if people are comparing him to Tobias Harris so if he's Tobias but he's a better playmaking Tobias then that probably allows him to get more points because you can't necessarily double him even though I don't think he's Tobias at all I just think people have been making that comparison and so one of the reasons I'm higher on Palo than Chet and Jabari is because I feel like at the end of the game, I can give the ball to Palo and say, go get me a bucket. If you play him straight up, then I think he can punish you in the post. He can get by you. He can create his own shot off the dribble. And if you want to send the double, he's going to make you pay for it because he has the instincts and the vision of a natural playmaker. And I don't feel like, I can give the ball to Jabari and say, get out the way, and he's going to get me an easy shot. I feel like you get the ball to Jabari, he's going to get in his uh, – and I'm not knocking him, but he's going to get in his um, triple threat, and he's going to shoot a pull-up jumper, a no-dribble jumper. He may have a two-dribble limit. And even though he had four assists in both games, I don't think he's on Palo's level as a playmaker. And then with Chet, I don't think you can give him the ball and say, hey, go get me an easy an easy bucket. 
So that's one of the reasons why I'm higher on Paolo. I think he's the best shot creator, and I think he's the best passer of the three. Rucker, over the season, our, we, we've made our feelings clear. Uh, we've kind of gone back and forth on him. I know, I know that you've just recently done a real deep dive into Paolo. So a- after doing that, have your feelings changed significantly um, since last we talked about him, or have they been kind of more reaffirmed? Well, I mean, Rafael's on, so I got to say yes. But no, I'm, <laughs> I'm being serious. Like, yeah, completely done a shift, and, and it's been pretty remarkable. And, you know, I'm glad Rafael brought up the point about the playmaking because that's exactly yeah. what I, I talked to you about, Metcalf, on the side before Rafael came on. Like, what he's done lately um, as, a, as a passer, like with his vision, it's, it's a completely different monster now. Um, I even was like looking at the numbers. I think he's almost doubled his assist numbers in like the last eight games compared to the rest of the slate. So watching his film from the beginning of the year to like this last month and change, um, it just seems like he's playing more like his speed now, like beginning of the year, he was a little out of control trying to figure out what he can do. Now it seems like he's letting the game come to him and you're really seeing he could be really dangerous um, with the playmaking on top of it. So I don't know. I think the shot selections also improves. I think he's like being more patient and not trying to force some stuff. But if the playmaking is is coming into that part, like, yeah, this is a, an entirely different monster. And I think Rafael's spot on, you know, when you keep debating Chet, Jabari, Paulo, like I'm I'm pretty adamant that if I needed a bucket, I'm giving it to Paulo. Like I feel like that is the the obvious choice right there because he can just do so many different things and Metcalf, we've talked about it before. His footwork is it's woof. absurd. It's the absurd. Footwork, the, the fluidity. Yes. So, and, I, I mean, uh, that's a force. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think, like, and I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I, I feel like Zion's passing wasn't fully unlocked at Duke. Right. And Paolo is, has shown better passing ability than, than Zion did. I think. I don't even know if Zion had a positive assist to turnover ratio at Duke. And we saw in, you know, when he played his last season, I guess last season was his second year, that Zion was playing some point guard for for the Pelicans at the end of the year. And I think Paolo can do the same things. And there's not as much spacing with Duke because he's playing with Mark Williams. And then he has some, I mean, I think uh, Wendell Morris shot well, decent. A.J. Griffin is I feel like I didn't see him miss until <laughs> yeah, seriously <laughs> until like until like the the Michigan State game, and but I think like with more spacing, I think Paolo's passing is going to be more unlocked. And one of the reasons why I'm so high on him, I mentioned it in in the show with Stephen, is like all right, so you look at Chet and you say, well, man, if he can only gain some weight, and if you look at Jabari and say, well, if he gets stronger. I think Paolo's being punished because he doesn't have that one thing where you're like, hey, he needs to get stronger and he'll be this. And I feel like him becoming a better three-point shooter, Right. I think that's easier for him to develop into a better three-point shooter than it is for Chet to gain 30 pounds or for Jabari to be a, a better creator off the dribble. So that's why I've been riding this Van Carroll bandwagon <laughs> and – um, I saw a tweet yesterday, and I retweeted. I think it was by Dion on draft, and he said, "You know, if everybody's comparing him to Jabari Parker, why not Jason Tatum?" And I agree 100. percent I I gotta cut you off, Metcalf, before you no, get please. crazy, because I actually have like a weird, crazy 
point about Tatum that I think last night when I was watching Paulo, I kind of have that vibe too. I feel like when Tatum doesn't fall in love with like the three point shot, he's such a monster. Like when he, cause it opens up his playmaking, like attacking, dishing off. And I feel like Paulo has that same vibes to me where it's like, I know they're different type of players, but when Paulo lets the mid range game and like the attack and dump off, like we saw with that Mark Williams pass, he can really do some special stuff. And, and I do feel like he's reading the floor better right now. So I feel like beginning of the year, he was kind of falling in love with that three-point shot. Now you're seeing the shot selection. Like he's he's letting the game come to him. He's being a little bit more patient. And that's why I'm starting to really, you know, heat up with that. And of course, you know, Jabari having the, the bad game, everyone's going to overreact to that. But yeah. I do think there's real questions that Rafael's bringing up. Like Jabari's just some of the shots he hit this year were like unbelievable. I, I still can't get over it, but when it's not there, what is he going to do? Um, yeah. And I still think there's some questions about that. So uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, Rafael, I got a question for you about Paulo, like his NBA fit. I, I've heard a lot of people like kind of question it um, with people thinking like, do you have to force feed him? Like he's an old school, like play through him in the post. And, I feel like I've watched him lately and it almost seems like he's got some, some ability to kind of, you know, be at the top of the key, run the offense, make plays for everyone. And, you know, even going back to that game earlier in the year against Gonzaga, he's bringing the ball up and throwing full court dimes and and just hopping all over the place. So do you see like his kind of being just one of these forwards you can play through, or do you think you kind of got to feed him in the post or if there's a little bit of mix of both? A little, you know what? I had this conversation last time. I was in Miami and I was watching. Um, I was filming a guy who was. They they wanted me to film some content to try to get him on on draft board, and Bam Adebayo happened to be in the gym. And so I'm a Blazers fan, as you know, it is posted on the on the Twitter page with my face <laughs> over Dan Lillard. How to do it? <laughs> so I, I went up to Bam and I introduced myself and I said, uh, and this is kind of like a long way to answer. I said, I'm a Blazers fan. What in the world made Portland take Zach Collins over you? <laughs> I said, you feel so many needs that Portland lacks. The athleticism, a secondary playmaker, defense, rebounding. And I like Nurk, but I mean, you know, I take Bam over Nurk. Right. <laughs> and so I said, what did Portland miss and what did all these other teams miss? Was it because you sacrificed at Kentucky? And he said, well, yes. Going to Kentucky, you know you have to sacrifice something. That's just part of one of the things that you buy in. But he said, if you paid attention to my high school tape, you could see that I was making some of these passes. I was doing a lot of the things that I'm doing now. So he said, when you evaluate guys, try to watch their high school film because sometimes high school will tell you what they can do. While once they go to college, they aren't able to showcase it. And... When I look at Paolo, I did watch his high school tape, and I saw that he was a really good passer. Yeah. And then, you know, in high school, usually, like, the best player, it's kind of like football. The best athlete is the quarterback, <laughs> even though, like, every great football player has probably played quarterback at some time <laughs> in their life. And with him, he played some point center or point for whatever in high school. So I saw the passing. I saw the skip passes. I saw all of that. Why I don't think he's been able to showcase that all the time at Duke because they have other guys that 
you know, if they're playing off the ball, they're not as effective. So I do think that he has sacrificed some of his playmaking skills. So to answer your question about his NBA fit, I see him as a guy that could be a secondary ball handler. I see him as someone like in my dream scenario, he's in Portland, right? So you run this Lillard, Van Carroll pick and roll, but you give him the ball in the middle of the floor and he can make some of those Draymond Green reads that, right, right. You know, when teams used to trap Steph early in Draymond's career before they like really respected him as a passer, he used to get the ball in the middle of the floor. And whether it was kicking to Clay in the corner or throwing a lob to Looney or, or Bogut. And I think that, not saying that Ben Carroll has Draymond's IQ, but I think like if you have a four man that can make plays in the middle of the floor, I mean, that opens up your entire offense. I've always felt like with Houston, when James Harden was there, if you took the ball out of his hands, they didn't have anybody that could put the ball on the floor and make a play. So I think Paolo is someone that would be a really good complimentary piece to like Dame. But you can also make teams pay for switching. You know, if you put a small on Paolo, then he's going to take him to the post. If you try to defend him with a bigger, stronger guy, I think he has enough off the dribble to where he can get to the rack. So I think a creative coach can just really make him a weapon, which is why I'm so high on him. No, I, I think your point about what he does like in that mid-range and elbow area of the floor is so important. And it's something we keep seeing over and over again by him because he, he has this unique blend of kind of fluidity, balance, footwork, size, and athleticism where he can really easily manipulate his defender's momentum and whichever way they're leaning, he's spinning back the other way. And then that's when the playmaking really comes in because he mm-hmm. forces that help rotation and that now he's slipping off a dump off pass to the dunker spot or hit hitting that overhead skip pass to the corner. What's frustrated me, I guess you're earlier, you brought up his high school tape and what's kind of frustrated me is that we've seen a lot of that kind of coasting at times this season with him as well, that we also saw in his high school tape. Um, his high school tape was so impressive at times that I wanted to chalk a lot of it, a lot of the coasting up to, okay, he's just out there just trying different shit where he's experimenting. He's like, I am so much bigger and better than all of these guys. We're up by 30. I'm going to see what I can do if I try this, you know, double crossover, step back, turn around, fade away three. And, you know, results were very mixed. But then this year it felt like the effort also kind of came and went and especially on the defensive end and with rebounding. Do you have any concerns or worries about him as a defender, or do you think it's more of a role kind of issue with him? I mean, yeah, there's a little concerns, especially if you're going to compare him to Chet, which, you know, he's going to be compared to Chet. Mm -hmm. He has been since, I mean, I guess probably since they were in high school. So Chet is obviously going to look better on the defensive end. Same with Jabari. Um, you know, if you're one of these guys that loves, what do they call them, stocks, his stocks are good. <laughs> it's just he does have the, I call it the LeBron, the late career LeBron, where it's just like I'm going to let this guy get by me, and then I know I'm going to try to beat his shot up on the glass when he gets by me. He does have a tendency to do that. But when you said about the high school stuff, you're up 30 and the trying different things, I actually like, yeah, I actually so like I. it because it's kind of like all right, I'm working on this against a live defense yeah. <laughs> and I'm using these guys as live practice them now you can't do that in the NBA but in high school when they were up 30 I kind of like the fact that he let you know I am this much more talented than you and I can 
try stuff on you because you can't stop me. I kind of like the little, the arrogance in him when it comes to that point, which I think also is why I like how he was confident enough when the game was on the line to take over. Why I felt like Chet, when the game was tight, I didn't see him touch the ball. He clearly deferred to Timmy. Not saying that he shouldn't. I mean, Timmy, I think, is a better college player and a better scorer. But um, but to answer your question, yes, there are some concerns on defense. But I, I will say that I think he made the season-saving block <laughs> for, I mean, it extended Coach K's career another another game or so. So, uh, I mean, this one sounds – but I don't think he's unplayable. I mean, I think, like right. – that's the biggest thing about the NBA is, all right, if this guy is on my roster in a playoff series, are they going to hunt him every single play, and is he going to get ran off the floor? I don't think he'll get ran off the floor. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you from that standpoint because I actually kind of like his on-ball defense. Um, I think that's where we see his footwork mm-hmm. kind of come into play or at least translate from the offensive end. Because I, I feel like when he's directly engaged or challenged, that's when that kind of arrogance comes back out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, you're not you're not beating me. And I think he moves his feet pretty well. It's just off ball. I have a little, some frustrations. Rucker, where are you at with him defensively? I mean, you definitely see like the coasting, but I, I, I kind of agree with Raphael. I feel like it's just, he's like daring people to go at him because he wants that block. Um I, I don't think he's unplayable. I, I think he has some foundation where like some fine tuning, some coaching. Um, if he's alongside like a defensive minded, you know, player, like maybe he goes to Detroit, which would be awesome fit. Cause I'd love him and Cade, but maybe he's got like Isaiah Stewart next to him um, to kind of work on that. And they, you know, he has so much offensive firepower that it just makes you be like, okay, if you can just kind of hold your own defensively, like, we're going to be so excited with what you can do. So I'm not overly concerned about it. Um, I'm more just damn excited about the playmaking flashes that he's really shown lately. I mean, that's an entire new animal now that I'm like, okay, where was this guy in the beginning of the year? This is fun. Like I'm I'm all over this, but so yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried Metcalf. Um, I think when you're the star at some of these teams, I, I also think you can kind of, try to catch up in a weird way like the star treatment where it's like you're catching your breath you might be getting a little lazy but I think when guys take that next jump they're attentive they're trying to send a message and send a statement to the rest of the league so I think Paul is going to be fine yeah I also think that with Mark Williams behind him Mm -hmm. I think there is a tendency to be lazy I mean we see it in the NBA like if you I mean LeBron for example when he knows AD's behind him he's going to try to jump the passing lanes and he's going to try to bait the guy into AD. And I think you see that a lot when you have such a great rim protector behind you. So um, hopefully he, he does go somewhere where he has a rim protector that can cover him (laughs) and has those lapses. But I mean, I don't, I don't know unless it's some crazy situation where he ends up with a team that has a a great shot blocker behind him. That's that, you know, is projected to be where he's projected to go. So, so Paulo's number one for you, and he has yep. been for a long time. Yeah, Chad and Jabari tend to make up most people's top three in some form or fashion. Is that the same with you, or are you seeing something different? Yeah, um, I have a piece that I'm probably going to release tomorrow. Um, I think maybe if Jaden Ivey has a strong tournament, and let's say they go to the final four, I think he might have a chance of 
moving up to one or two. I think it's an outside shot, but it also depends on who is selecting number one. I think a Sam Presti is gutsy enough to say, even though it may not be the best positional fit, but a Sam Presti is gutsy enough to be like, no, I'm taking I mean, I'm, I'm taking Jaden Ivey. I'm not going to go with the consensus here. While I do think that some other GMs who who are probably going to go with the consensus because it's safer to go with the you know who everybody is mocking to in the top three. But yeah, I mean, I think like let's say Purdue does go to the Final Four, they win, and Jaden Ivey is getting to the foul line nine times a game, like he has the first two games in the tournament, and he is just changing games with his athleticism. I think somebody's going to be like, okay, we see what John Morant is doing. Now, I don't think Ivy is the playmaker and passer as Morant, but he could at least be like Westbrook, where he's just using the penetration to collect eight or nine assists a game off dump offs and, and driving kicks. And so I think he has an outside chance. So besides Paulo, who we all agree is kind of taken that first weekend by storm and mm-hmm. just really dominated both the games he was in. Who else from that first round really caught your eye or were there any kind of concerning performances that you saw? Uh, I mean, I'll say Jabari was a little bit concerning. And again, it's one of the things if you're kind of, I don't want to say biased, but if there's some concerns that you had and then they have a bad game, it kind of like, see, I, I knew it. And so one of my concerns with Jabari was, I mean, how does he score if, if um, you know, he has to attack a closeout? And I, I always felt like he needs to be set up more than being able to create his own shot. That's a little bit of a concern. Um, but some of the guys that kind of stood out to me are the guys that weren't necessarily on draft boards. So I really like Kyler Edwards, 6'4", mm-hmm. big guard. He's been playing point the last few games, decent passer. I think he only has like three turnovers so far. And, um, I mean, he's a senior that the efficiency isn't there, but he shot like 40% from three as a junior. It's yeah. down to like the thirties now, but it's weird. He's shooting like eight threes a game and only connecting on like 30%. But he is someone that maybe a team could bring in as like this weird weapon, like that Bruce Brown type weapon where you're like, a, you know, Bruce Brown was like a point guard at Miami mm-hmm. in a sense where, you know, Edwards is, like, strong enough to defend multiple positions, has the instincts of a of a, a playmaker, and if he can knock down threes like he did as a, as a junior, then there may be a spot for him. Um, I am from Omaha, Nebraska, so I am a little bit biased towards Creighton, but I thought Arthur Kaluma had a really, yeah. really good game. Yes. Um, what is he, like 6'7", 220, showed some ball handling, you can make a case and say he was the best player on the floor in that Kansas game. And, um, you know, depends on what, if he decides to test the waters or not, but I was really impressed with him. Um, of course the guys from Arizona, they, they had big games. So, I mean, it was a lot of guys that I felt like really made a, a strong case for himself. Kennedy Chandler, uh, another one. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great weekend for some guys. I, I'm, Thrilled that you brought up Kaluma because ever since I think he was high school teammates with Nolan Hickman and just over the summer catching up on high school tape, Kaluma always stood out. And I, I think he's he's a jumper away from being 
like scary, scary good. Um, I'm very excited for him next year. Rucker, what about you? Is there anyone specifically who kind of really impressed you or on the opposite side of that really kind of reignited some concern? You know, I, I, I don't mean to be biased, but I, I keep going to my boy, Christian Coloco. I, I've just been so damn impressed with what he's done um, since the Pac-12 tournament. I, I think he's really making a, a case to maybe be a first-round pick. Um, he's just shown some some great strides and development over the years, and I, I think he's shown some soft hands lately for Arizona. He's been a humongous piece. Like, I don't, I don't know if they won a couple of those games without him. But he's just – I still think there's a lot of potential in his game. Like, I, I know people are going to be a little nervous that he's a junior, but, you know, he's just the, – the strides forward from his freshman year when he was barely playing for Arizona, like, I think that's going to be a, a really intriguing big man in this class. So, yeah. Coloco just keeps doing some good stuff, and, and I've been really impressed. Yeah, funny story. So, I was in L.A. this summer, and a friend of mine was playing pickup ball. He's like, hey, come to this gym. And there's some guys playing pickup. So I go to the gym and John Lucas, the Lakers assistant coach, was running the workouts and he was playing. Um, Ushman Jang was was playing. Yes. And then uh, Kevin Looney was there. Some other guys I, I didn't necessarily know. And Coloco was there and he was dominating. And one of my regrets is I should have made a post in saying, hey, watch out for Christian Coloco. <laughs> because the way that he's playing now was the way that he was playing pickup ball. And he was literally outplaying Kevin Looney. Now, whether or not Looney was going hard or if he was just trying to stay in shape and, and keep a rhythm, I don't know. But Coloco was impressive. And I remember, like, only reason I knew who he was because he had on Arizona gear. So I, you know, pull up the roster and I'm looking, I'm like, okay, that, that is him. And, um, but yeah, I mean, he, I don't know what jump he made prior to that but he had a great summer and it's paying off now and he's he's probably gonna be if he continues to play like i don't expect him to go like 12 for 13 from the floor right but <laughs> he could be a back-end lottery pick i mean he's played that well so um yeah i definitely think he helped himself so i, I feel like coloco mark williams walker kessler and even kind of kamigate get grouped together a lot in discussions. Um, so if you're saying Coloco goes, or you could see him potentially going back into the lottery. Um, do, do you have him ahead of those guys? And if so, what kind of really separates him in that realm? Yeah, it just depends on which time of the month you ask me. <laughs> Ain't that the truth this time of year? <laughs> I think all of those guys have just kind of rotated. Yes. Uh, and I think it's just going to be an acquired taste. I mean, like, you look at, let me make sure I get his name right, Walker Kessler. It always, like, it, it just throws me off. Yeah. Because right when I'm thinking, like, I got it right, and if I'm going to say his name, I'm like, wait a minute, is it, which way? So <laughs> I had him at the lottery in one of my last big boards. And I think that he does have some offense that, you know, is untapped. But it, oh, man, it, it didn't look. It didn't look like it in the last game, but I do yeah. think he, he does have some offense that that is untapped, um, and and it definitely doesn't help him that Coloco, in the same day, goes twelve of thirteen from the floor and is, you know, so um, and I'm I'm big on Kamagate, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm big on him, 
Because, I mean, I guess you can say the same for the other guys, but he's such a late bloomer. And I had the opportunity to spend time with him in Paris and interview him. And one of the things that I mentioned to him was like, and I, I, I went to its under night, no, it was under 18 tournament in 2019. So this particular tournament, Usman Garuba was in the tournament. Alperin Shingun, who was not the same player he is now, he was in the tournament. And then um, Sandy Aldama, who the Grizzlies drafted, right. won MVP of the tournament. So I was asking um, Kamagata, I said, were you on that French team? And he said, yeah. I said, I do not remember you. And he was like, yeah. I know. Nobody does. I barely played. But the jump that he made, because he was nowhere near those guys' level just two two summers ago. I guess it's three, going on three summers now. So I think he's trending in the right direction. Um, so I had a chance to watch him play. I posted the video on the – I watched him play twice. And he absolutely kicked Wimbenyama's butt at the game that I went to in early November. Drew maybe two fouls in like the first eight minutes. was just too physical for him. And his motor just runs and runs. I mean, one of the things I look for in bigs is how well do you transition from defense to offense and vice versa. And uh, I just think with his motor, his hands, and I think he, he has some upside as a shooter. I mean, if you look at the way his free throw percentage has climbed over the last year, shows that he's been putting in work. And he mentioned to me that he spent the summer working out with Gobert. They share the same agent. But just working with the French national team that, you know, they won the World Cup in 2019 and finished second, or they, they won the silver medal. So I think that has helped him out with his confidence. And then I try to imagine, like, if he were playing in college basketball, where would we have him at? And I think if he were playing at, like, a UCLA or, you know, one of these major college programs, I think that he could possibly be a lottery pick. So it, it, it switches back and forth. Uh, over who I think is the best one of those guys, but you know, maybe I'm being a prisoner of the moment. But Coloco is 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 the guy today. Rucker, you you've been preaching Coloco all season uh, since day one, um, almost obnoxiously. But <laughs> um, me and you have also been pretty high on the Mark Williams band bandwagon, and have been super impressed with him all year. Uh, Williams is still. Currently, for me, um, the top guy. Quick where, question: where, Were you going yeah. crazy when he made that that buzzer beater shot? Well, oh, not, yeah. it wasn't a buzzer beater, but Paolo threw him that bomb at the end of the shot clock, and he made this. I mean, the way he shot that with so much confidence, it's like he shot it like, "Yeah, I, I've had this in my bag. I just haven't been able to show it." So, were you like jumping up and down when he made that shot? When yeah. he shot that, yeah, I, I was because me and Metcalf have been like kind of pushing everyone at no ceilings like guys get on the mark williams train and then when he hit that i was like whoa big fella where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. but the way he released it with so yeah. much confidence like like i've been waiting for this opportunity now i have a legit reason to shoot this dirt shot because i have no other choice so i i thought about that like okay yeah he let that fly with a lot of confidence he's been waiting for that moment <laughs> sorry to cut you off there but no no no, no i'm glad you brought that up that's exactly what I wanted. So are, are you still, Rucker, are you still hot, that high on Williams or are you kind of leaning more towards Coloco at this point? Because I'm like, like Raphael just kind of hinted at, I, I think Williams has a, a little bit more than he's been able to show. Um, but I also think he's one of the most productive and low maintenance 
players in the country right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he's hitting that, whoa, okay, like, <laughs> buckle up. But, you know, just all year, I've just been impressed with what he's done. Um, I feel like every time I watch one of the Duke games and their, you know, final stretch, he's making big plays. I can't get the Gonzaga game out of my head in the beginning of the year where he just looked mm-hmm. like one of the best guys on the floor. Um, so, yeah, it's like Rafael said, it's kind of the time of the day or, you know, what, what side of the bed you wake up on because I love Coloco, what I've seen the last month um, especially. And then I always go back to, like, I, Kamigate. I really like him. Like, exactly yeah. what Rafael's saying. When I did a film dive um, and did a piece on him earlier in the year for No Ceilings, and that guy's motor never turns off. Never. I mean, he is yeah. just flooring all over the place and you're just like this is awesome (laughs) like i just love it because with bigs if you play your butt off like i'm a sucker for that so um i I think those are all three like really interesting bigs in this class that feel like you could easily get a different answer from each person you'd probably talk to around the league um but i bigs are weird because they kind of click and take that step at different times. So I feel like Kamigate being older, people might be like, well, and it's like, no, like sometimes they just, you know, take a little bit of, of time to literally like see the light and and things start to fall into place. And Kamigate, Coloco, both in that same ballpark. Yeah. One of the things I like about Kamigate is that he is a late bloomer and He's not one of these guys that has been praised as an NBA prospect for like the last few years and just spending so much time in Europe. The hype machine isn't there in Europe. Like even now when I do research on players and I'm trying to like go on YouTube to try to find the correct pronunciation of their name, (laughs) there may only be like one or two videos on the guy while you take an American prospect who maybe even be like a three-star recruit. He may have 20 YouTube videos, interviews. And so I said, I'd say say this. I think what I like about Kamigate is there's this hunger in him and it reflects with how he plays and how he's, you know, just kind of put himself in position over the last year or so as an NBA prospect. And I think that's going to carry over. I just kind of have a thing about late bloomers. Mm -hmm. And then even if you look at like, Embiid and Jokic. Again, I don't want to compare him to those guys. Neither one of those guys were like, you know, the top dog at 17 or 18 years old. Embiid started trending that way, but he carried over that I'm behind everybody mentality. I need to catch up. And he still has past guys up that were like way ahead of him. And that's one of the things I like about Kamigate. Like there's this hunger that he has. And when I went out there to Paris, he finished like a full practice and then he went through a full workout and I just had the camera and I just started rolling. He was working on his ball handling. He was working on his three point shot. He was working on like uh fake swing passes to not to shoot threes. I mean, there were so many things that he was working on and I'm like, okay, if he's doing this every day after practice, like the day before a big game, then I, I know that, you know, this work ethic is going to continue even when he gets paid. So, um, again, I just like guys that start trending in the right direction. And I like the guys that are kind of like underdogs that carry this chip and this hunger. And and that's why I'm so high on Kamigate. Do you think, Rafael, like, say late first round, a playoff team, they're just like, man, we really need a, a rotation big. 
I mean, do you think Kamagate is just one of those guys where it's like that would be a dream type of prospect you add where he can just come off the bench, play his butt off, you know, do those limited role, like, you know, rebound, shot block, you know, finish around the rim. Like, I feel like that's where you get to the point of the draft where those guys that could specifically help you in, in meaningful, like, minutes off of the bench, like, Kamagate seems like a guy that smart front offices might be like, yeah, he would be a great piece to add while we continue to let him develop and build some confidence. Yeah. I would like to see him have like the same role that Capella had. If you remember Capella spent the entire season in the G league and then all of a sudden the Rockets like threw him in, in the playoffs and he provided a little bit of valuable business behind Dwight Howard. And then the next year he was their guy and working in the G league. I always admired the Rockets, at the time, their G League situation because they really developed guys. And so, I mean, yeah, I could see Kamagate having a similar situation if he falls to like 28, 29, mm-hmm. or, or 30. And if he ends up on that position, then he's going to a team that probably already has their playmaker that can just give him the ball and feed him on easy dump-offs. And all he has to do is do what he's been doing, which is sprint the floor, grab rebounds, get offensive rebounds. So I think that would be a good spot for him, especially for his career. Well, while we're on the international train, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't pick your brain about Gabriel Procida, who mm-hmm. I cannot get enough of. Um, yeah. I adore him. Um, <laughs> to put it lightly, Rafael, I promise. Right. We're getting yeah, a scary no, part I, I, of the which is <laughs> unfortunate. Um, so, what w- what are your? I guess let, let's just start big picture. What what are your overall thoughts with Procida? I like him a lot. Um, I actually did a video on him, man, probably like September. So I was I feel like I was on the on the train a little bit early with with uh, Procida, and even though he was playing like limited minutes last year, you saw the flashes, you see the athleticism pops out. The shooting pops out. The confidence pops out. Like, mm-hmm. he's yes. not afraid to let it fly. And uh, even though I feel like I've been telling stories this whole episode, I have a funny Prashida story. No, we so, want yes. stories. That's what this <laughs> is about. Out. We want stories. Come on. And I, I've, uh, for the listeners that don't know, I have spent the majority of this basketball season in in, in Europe and trying to, um, you know, just kind of get a better handle on the European prospects. And I think it, I'm just so intrigued with how different basketball in Europe is and how you you're trying to project a kid to the NBA and, and like how, if he were in the States, would he be in high school? Would he be in college? And, and in Europe, the thing about Europe is that in order to play minutes, you have to earn them. There's no reward for losing. There's no like, Hey, our season's bad. Let's play the young guys so we can get the top pick in order to play in Europe, you have to be better than the man that's in front of you. And every game matters because even if you're on the worst team, you can get demoted to second division. So every game counts. And when you see young guys getting minutes, it's because they deserved it. And um, I went to a, a game to go watch him play against uh, Milan, which is one of the top t- the top EuroLeague teams. And um, in Italy, is really strict about COVID. So I go to this game and I, I take the train from Bologna to Milan and I have a media credential, which for whatever reasons, as an American that's covering basketball in Europe, I can make one text and say, hey, 
can I have a media credential? And they're like, sure, go ahead. Oh, it's that easy. Gosh, we need that. You hear that? Oh, please. it's so <laughs> easy. I mean, when I when I say I ask for a media credential, it's literally like access to you can film on the baseline. You can do whatever you want to do. Like I can take the camera and like put it over the huddle. They don't they don't care. In the States, it's like impossible. Yeah. So, so I go to the, the arena and and like here in the States for our COVID, we have we just have that paper that says you if you you know you've been double vaccinated. Well, in Europe, they have like this QR code. It's so much more high tech and all that. So I get to the game and um, I can't they don't let me in until like halftime because they're trying to find somebody that ends up explaining to them like, yes, Americans don't have this QR code. So I, I go to film and I had access to film on the baseline. And um, I think he had like 12 points in the first half that I missed. And one of the differences between like basketball in Europe and the States like if you watch a college game, there's TV timeouts. There's like the halftime show in Europe. It's like all basketball. Like there's no TV timeouts. So if the game starts at like seven twenty, and if you get there at seven thirty, it might be halftime. <laughs> wow! In the states, if you're thirty minutes late for a tip off, it still might be the first quarter yeah. because <laughs> all the extra stuff that goes along. So I missed the first half. He had like his best half. And then I, by the time I get there in the second half, he only was able to get up two shots. It's almost like his teammates froze him out. So um, um, the next day I'm waiting. I'm, I'm trying to come back to, like, I don't know where I was going, but I had to leave the country. Every time I go to a new country, I got to get a COVID test, all this stuff. So I'm sitting there waiting on my results, and I'm back in Bologna. And um, I'm talking to my mom, and then I, I'm looking, and I see him walking down the street. So I go... <laughs> I tell my mom I gotta hang up. I go and I introduce myself, and uh, I'm and I'm not nervous, but I'm just like I don't want you to think I'm like this crazy fan. So I'm just saying, hey, I've done videos on you. I I went to your game yesterday to scout you and watch you and create some content. I couldn't get in, yada yada yada. And then I'm like on my phone trying to like pull up a YouTube video to let him know like I've done this video, and he says. I know your voice. <laughs> I listened to your podcast. <laughs> so that was like, man, it was huge to me that, you know, he listened to the podcast. So hopefully, I mean, we exchanged numbers. So hopefully I can go back and, and get some content on him. But all that being said, I love the athleticism. I think that he has a role as whether it's like a transition finisher, a three-point shooter, and he's so young. He's he's yeah. young. And uh, but then again, I don't even know if he's the best Italian prospect. I struggle between him and Matteo Spaniolo, who's only 18, who um, I had went to watch the day before. But I mean, I like him a lot. I saw that he had like this amazing tip dunk a couple of days ago. And uh, and then I think like, all right, if he were in the States and we were watching him in March Madness, I think he could be a lock as a first round pick like if you were trying to and I don't want to compare a white guy to white guy but if you were if you like Christian Braun or Christian mm -hmm. Brown <laughs> I can never I love him and I can never say his name right so don't worry about it because I, I, <laughs> right. I still can't figure it out <laughs> well I mean like you know I'm, I'm looking at what I'm saying I'm, I'm looking at is how it's spelled which, yeah. <laughs> you know. but if you like Brown then you have to like Prashida because they're both athletic. They're both kind of like straight line drivers and Prashida's younger. So, um, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he is someone that ends up being 
higher on NBA draft boards than like NBA Twitter boards. But I like them a lot, though. Rucker, are you still high on them, or have you cooled a little? No, I still I still like him a lot. Um, shout out to Raphael for the Spagnola love because I, I like yes. him too. So I mean, you know, we, we get a he's we get, still in high school in in the you know if he were in the states, he probably would still be in high school. So yeah, I, well, I'm I'm, I'm a like sucker for international prospects. So I like I watched those guys and I was like, yes, I'm I'm buying stock on both. But um, no, I like Prochita a lot. I, I really do think like young good size. I feel like he's, he's got a good frame to add some good weight yeah. and um, the athleticism really just kind of sneaks up on you out of nowhere. And you're like, Whoa, okay. I didn't know you can get yeah. up and bounce like that. So um, yeah. I like his, his all around game and he's got a pretty shot. Um, I know Metcalf is, is a very, very big fan. So uh, no, I'm not cooling off. I, I still think that like Raphael said, there's probably going to be some NBA front offices that might be higher on him than, you know, draft fans or draft Twitter. Yeah. And I think like, I, I like Spagnuolo a lot, but I do think that Prashida has a more defined mm-hmm. NBA role as a, um, you know, floor spacer, transition finisher, switchy defender. So, uh, it, you know, it just depends. I mean, the crazy thing about Italy going forward on their national teams, they could have Prashida, Spaniolo, and Van Carroll on, on right. their national teams. So, and then there's like Leonardo Okiki, who um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch him play, but I think he's going to be a really, really interesting prospect for 2023. Okay, well, there's name number yeah. two. There's, my, home, there's my homework now for today. They, they oh, you'll, you'll, you'll love him. Like, oh, gosh. Yeah, he's, he's really, really under the radar, but he's got some tools that you're going to be like, Okay, <laughs> the right system. He, he's going to be good. Right, and the reason cool. why he's not on, um, just real quick, the reason why yeah. he hasn't been getting a lot of love is he is, his parents are Nigerian in Italy. Um, he was born in Italy, but he doesn't have a passport. So he hasn't been able to play on like the the national teams, yeah. which is where a lot of guys are kind of getting their love. And then he's not in like the Real Madrid system like Spaniolo was. So he hasn't been able to play at like next generation tournaments or anything like that. And then he's playing second division now. And then I think next year he'll be first division Italy. But I That's think that game. that uh, once he gets his passport, if he can get it this summer, it's almost like Giannis in a sense, how Giannis couldn't show up because he wasn't officially a, a citizen so he wasn't playing in some of the other leagues or maybe he couldn't even travel outside of the country and so um i think that's one of the reasons why you haven't heard from him i heard that, about him i should say that passport and all that fun stuff is an absolute nightmare too and when you know that adidas tournament that's where a lot of guys get exposure so if you yep. can't play in that you really have to go grind so yeah now i gotta watch yeah, I got homework there. tonight. I'm going to the Next Generation tournament in in a couple of days on Friday, so I'll be in Patras, Greece. Oh, rough. That's a rough life. <laughs> <Not> brutal. <laughs> but the travel, the travel. Yes, Actually, you know, I, I'm doing a vlog. I'll release it. And you know, when I first started doing it, I thought like, oh, how glamorous it was. But now I understand <laughs> when scouts are like, I mean, just taking the train and trying to yeah. figure out how to get there. Because you know, like in the states, if there's a tournament, it's going to be in. Dallas, Houston, Denver, LA. Well, imagine like 
a big tournament and it is in shoestring Mississippi. <laughs> when you're like, how do I get there? You right, know? right. And so that's what makes the travel in Europe a, a grind because not all of them are in like major cities. And then depending on the country, like in Greece, they don't have like the sophisticated train system like Italy. So you have to figure out, all right, do I take a bus? And then I may end up having to take like one of those, I don't know, like a 15 passenger van bus with some <laughs> random strangers to get to this particular town. <laughs> so that's the part about it that that is not not glamorous at all and then the wi-fi is terrible in europe (laughs) yeah that definitely doesn't help especially if you're on the youtube grind yeah yep yep so um but no it's been fun and and just kind of having insight on some of these guys is something that i really really enjoy Raphael, thank you so much for your time this has been a lot of fun and just a great experience for us but we do end every episode with going Uh over the most (laughs) <laughs> what is the best thing you've seen recently in the basketball world? So, Rucker, uh, I'll, I'll give I'll him time to, to start. Yeah. yeah, Metcalf does a really bad job, Raphael, of kind of giving a heads up about this because mm-hmm. I do a podcast with him twice a week, and I'm still not prepared for it. Yeah, so that and that's my you. fault. Um, best thing I saw, you know, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Matherin, Benedict Matherin, kind of taking over, making that big three, the weak side rebound he had. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do against Houston. I think that's the name that probably is going to start making a little bit more buzz if, if they win a couple more games. So, um, Rafael, it also can be NBA related, which Tyler did not also. Or high tell school you or PE or something you did in the driveway. The best basketball. Well, it's probably, it means something to me. Um, there was a, I was in a, a tournament in Belgrade. And I was at the table with a bunch of scouts, didn't really know each other. It's just, you know, you sit in the gym for 10 hours and you just become friends with guys. So, hey, let's, right. let's go grab something to eat. And so there were a couple of scouts and they were talking about this kid named Cameron Hunt. And I, I, I said, Cameron Hunt? And I said, I, I know that name. And the guy's like, yeah, I mean, we're thinking about signing him or something like that. And so I, I had told, I said, I actually know him. So long story short, when I was in high school, his mom had lived with my family for a little while. And I remember when he was born and then I moved to Dallas and then his mom moved to Dallas and I watched him play in high school and he was not good. He wasn't good at all. And uh, and he was really scrawny and just like underdeveloped. And then I remember he went away to college and I just, you know, didn't know anything about it. So long story short, uh, once they mentioned his name, I said, you know, I know the kid. And I said, yeah, he went to like a small NAI school. What I didn't know was he grew into his body at the NAI school. He averaged like 33 points per game. And he's kind of carved out a career playing in, in Germany to the point where I think he had a workout with the Utah Jazz. I mean, he's not wow. like an NBA prospect, but it just kind of, you know, like made me smile in the sense that I remember in high school in Dallas, Around the time, this was when, like, Dallas had, like, Emmanuel Moutier, Terrence Ferguson. Um, I had worked for, like, this the Mo Williams elite AU team that had, like, three McDonald's All-Americans. And this kid wasn't even a top 50 player in the city of Dallas. But the fact that he's actually playing professionally and he has a chance to maybe play Euro Cup or Champions League, something like that, 
it really like made me smile. And I, I called his mom this morning just to let her know, like, hey, you know, I've I've heard some things about your son from different agents and you know, whatever he's doing as an NAIA guy to get a shot in Europe, he's done something, whether it's his character, his work ethic, whatever it is. And so it just kind of made me realize that no matter how outside of a shot you have at like pursuing your dream, it can happen. I mean, I look at like myself for an example, I started my podcast in 2020 and um, you know, here I am two years later, you know, Chad Ford has handpicked me. So it's kind of like if you're an underdog and if you put in the work and you have good character, even when it doesn't seem like it's going to happen for you, you just never know who's watching. And then one day it can, it can change. And so that like, I mean, it just, you know, I just talked to his mom this morning. That kind of made me smile because again, he was like an NAIA kid that wasn't a top 50 player in the city of Dallas. And I heard that he had a workout with the Utah Jazz and just hearing like different agents talk about him. That was the best thing that that I've heard in in, in a while. So um, to anyone that's listening, like that could be you, you know, it, you, you can be this underdog that has a shot at pursuing your dream if you just put in the work and have good character. Well, that is easily the best answer we have ever. Yeah, done. not even uh, close. That, 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 was, that was that. That that is awesome. Um, I, yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm looking forward to that movie one day. But <laughs> Raphael, thank you again so much for joining us. Please tell everyone where they can find you, where they can support you. Yeah, I mean, my Twitter account is Barlow B A R L O W E five zero zero. I'm on there every day. Um, I need to learn how to set my tweets so that I can tweet while I'm asleep, like uh, my guy, Erson <laughs> Demar. Have you guys noticed his tweets? Yes, like, he's a monster with that he, stuff. He, he told me that he sets his tweets. I'm like, oh, so you do sleep. You're, you're cheating. <laughs> <laughs> so, because, um, um, you know, when I'm in Europe, by the time I wake up, everybody's sleep and I'm missing everybody's tweets. So, um, but yeah, you can find me at Barlow 500 there. Um, I still have NBA Draft Junkies. I have my NBA Draft Junkies YouTube channel, which I'm going to try to transition I started getting flagged for like copyright videos. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I don't want them to take my channel away. So I'm going to start posting like original content. And so one of the videos that I'll post within the next couple of days is like my vlog experiences. So I'll, I'll post that. And um, and then I'm on nbabigboard.com. So I just, well, I haven't officially taken over yet, but I will be taking over for, for chat for it uh, once he officially retires. And then, um, you know, from there, I have content like three days a week. And then I have the NBA, uh, Locked on NBA Draft podcast. So I'm a one-man army going against no ceilings who has like a team. <laughs> but um, i just say this. If you love draft content, I feel like there's no better time in the world than to absorb it because you're getting information from so many different guys. There's no ceilings collective as steven would say i mean they're all hungry guys that eat sleep breathe you know when you're when i was a kid i used to want guys to like have deep draft conversations with and you know you can normally you can only talk about who's ever you know the top pick you can't talk about you know this guy at this nai school or this mid-major guy and so i feel like with no ceilings and just all of draft twitter i feel like i'm not an oddball anymore there's a bunch of guys that i can have deep conversations with about 
Gabrielle Proshida and his athleticism. So, um, but yeah, you can find me at uh, NBA Big Board, NBA Draft Junkies, and Barlow 500 on Twitter. Rucker, plug away. No, I'm not going too long after that because that was fun and awesome. Um, but no, I'm at no ceilings, NBA.com, just trying to keep up with Raphael because of all the good work he does. And um, this was a blast. And, and again, Raphael, for you know everyone at No Ceilings, like congrats. I know you're going to absolutely kill it, taking over for Chad Ford. And he's in good hands. I'm excited to see what you do with that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, if, you, if you're not following Raphael already, please make sure you go do so. Everything he does, whether it's writing, podcasting, video work, it's all incredible. Thank you again so much for your time. Once again, I am Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at TMetcalf11. And please make sure to go follow No Ceilings um, at No Ceilings NBA. Uh, please also make sure to subscribe on YouTube at No Ceilings TV. And you can find all of our written work for free at NoCeilingsNBA.com. It gets delivered directly to your inbox. There's no excuse not to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, please make (laughs) sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see you.